Hello and welcome once again to another episode of the Playsheet podcast. As always, I'm here with my friend Joe. Hey guys. And I'm Charles, here to take you through some more analytics, reviews of Game Week 9 and a look ahead to Game Week 10. So just to run through some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode, we're going to have a look at Big Ben and his elbow issues, Darius Leonard and his importance to the Colts, keeping the ball out of Mahomes' hands, and a reality check for some of the mightier teams in the NFL. If we go straight into the first game, Joe, taking a look at Thursday Night Football, we had Packers 34 against the 49ers 17. Yeah, a revenge game. So San Fran went into this game having won six of the previous eight, including the NFC Championship game in the previous season. They won that game by 37 points to 20, a 17-point differential. This time, Green Bay came to town and flipped that and got the win 34-17. Big win for the Packers, statement win, and uh, it's putting the San Francisco to the playoffs at a big risk now. There's not too much margin for error through the second half of the season. Yep, but I think there's probably not too much to be gained from this game in terms of any insights or anything like that. It went largely how people predicted it would go. I mean, all the commentators were banging on about the 49ers missing Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, their best three receivers, some of their running backs, their left tackle, their centre and five defensive starters. No one really gave them a chance and it went largely as people expected. We often say on this show that injuries aren't an excuse, that every team has injuries. The attrition rate of the NFL is 100%. Everyone will get injured at some point. It did feel a little bit this week, though, that the San Fran 49ers are kind of on the wrong end of that spectrum. It would have been almost miraculous had they pulled off a win against the Green Bay team who were firing on all cylinders. The only chance I think San Fran really had was if Green Bay played like they have twice this year when they've just thrown it away. But as we've seen before, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have two bad weeks running. And he pulled out a great performance, 147.2 pass rating, four TDs. You're not going to stop that. Yeah, and we saw it against the Texans. You know, if you're going to leave Devontae Adams wide open, Rodgers and Adams, that connection, they'll cut you. Oh, they'll just do it all day. And I mean, Adams had one TD. He could have had three if he'd kept his feet in a couple of other times. He had a monster game, but it could have been even bigger. And like you say, they will just slice teams open all day if you give them half a chance. I think the only thing to note about this game really is the concussion to Jer Alexander, which will be a big loss to the Packers. But then their next game's against the Jags, where arguably they won't really need him that much. So he should have plenty of time to recover. Yeah, but, you know, concussion is one of those injuries where the timescale isn't as clear as it is for, say, a sprained ankle. A sprained ankle, you know you're going to be back in two, three weeks. Concussion... If it's not a good one, they can drag out a little bit. So that's all I'd be careful of and hesitant to say there. But yeah, he's an absolute linchpin of a defence. A lot of the big plays come through him. So that will be a loss in the next game. Let's move on then to the Falcons against the Broncos. You called it right, you bat the Falcons, although they very nearly found a way to lose it once again. It was almost like deja vu all over again. Falcons were 27-6 up at one point and managed to eke their way over the finish line 34-27. I mean, it's deja vu for the Denver Broncos as well. I mean, they have a history of coming back this season like they did against the Chargers a couple of weeks ago. So judging by what these teams have been doing this year, it was almost like the game script set for another crazy defeat snatched from the draws of victory. But no, the Falcons managed to see the game off. Neither of these teams, I think, are going to be in the playoff hunt by the end of the season. All you can really take from this really is that it was an exciting game where the ball was aired out. Running backs didn't really do too much. I mean, Lindsay and Gordon combined for what? I think about 45, 50 yards between a pair of them. Their yards per carry were 2.9 and 3. So, I mean, they did nothing at all. And I mean, Gurley and Hill. Gurley's yards per carry was 2.8. Hill's was 3. So all the running backs across this game did nothing at all. It was all about the quarterbacks. And in a shootout against Ryan, you've got to be pretty good to take it from him. You say it's a shootout, but really any of Locke's plays came from garbage time. Prior to that, he was doing nothing. It was all in the the dying ends of the game where the Falcons basically stopped trying. Does it count as garbage time, though, when you nearly come back and win? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's true. Philosophical question here, because I'd say that it's only garbage time if you don't have a chance of winning. The Falcons were 27-6 up at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, but this is the Falcons, and I don't think there's such thing. (laughs) Can we also call it a shootout 
if one of the teams scored six points in the first three quarters. True, but I mean, the big plays were all coming from Ryan's arm and they went and got that lead. The Broncos then had to pass the ball a lot more. There were only 14 rush attempts between Lindsay and Gordon. Falcons had, I think, 27 between Gurley and Hill, but I mean, a lot of those were in the fourth quarter when they had the lead and they were trying to run the clock down. Both quarterbacks, everything was coming through the arm. I get your point and I do slightly agree with you, but I'm just saying there's no such thing as garbage time when you're playing against the Falcons because (laughs) even if you're three scores down with five minutes left, that's plenty of time against this team. Yeah, I think it's just important to point out that Locke wasn't impressive for large parts of the game. He went missing. A few things to call out. He looked panicked a lot in the pocket. A lot of the time that was when he was under pressure. But even when there wasn't an immense amount of pressure, he still looked sketchy. And he does this thing where he's always moving backwards when he feels under pressure instead of occasionally stepping up into the pocket. And that can leave him really, really vulnerable when he steps out of that protection and he gets edge rushed. Yeah, the Falcons are a very, very bad D. Locke should have looked better against this team. Coming into this season, everyone was kind of talking about Locke taking that step forward, about Denver having a sneaky good offence and all that. It's not come to pass. Potentially, we're looking at another quarterback here who just hasn't worked in the John Elway era at Denver. But yeah, don't want to roam off too soon, but he should have done better against this Atlanta team. Yeah, I think the one nice takeaway from this game was Jerry Judy finally having a bit of a breakout game. He caught seven passes for 125 yards and a touchdown. And he even pulled out a dirty fake hand signal to completely fool his defender. I don't know if you caught that one, Joe. I did. It was pure filth. Shall we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Take us into it. So the first, I'm not going to call it a giant killing because both of these teams are pretty big. But the first wake up call, let's say, and that came for the Seahawks. Seahawks 34, Bills 44. And I think as well, Charles, that scoreline makes it sound a little bit closer than how the game looked. Yeah, completely agree. It's deceptive. So I'm going to hit you with a few stats here, Charles. The Seahawks have given up the most yards per game out of any team in the National Football League, and it's not even close. In terms of yards per game, the Seahawks defense has given up 455 yards a game. That's massive. To put it into context, the next worst team is the Jets at 402 yards. They're giving up 50 more yards a game than the Jets. And I mean, we talk about how bad the Jets are. The 50 yards a game in defense worse. The weakness, where they're terrible, is in pass defense. 362 yards a game on average they are giving up through the air. And again, for context, the next worst team is Atlanta, who we just mentioned, 310 yards a game. Again, 50 yards a game more than Atlanta, who are the second worst team. This is an extremely bad D. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up about the pass defense because one of the things I noted about this game was how prepared the Bills were from a strategic standpoint going into this game. They clearly did their homework and knew exactly how bad the Seahawks were in the air because let's see if you can guess it. How many times do you think they ran in the entire first half, the Bills? Three. Two. Was it two? Two runs in the entire first half. That is all the Bills did. You know, that's a team that's done their homework, knows how to hurt the opposition and sticks to their game plan. And boy, did it pay off. And they executed as well. I mean... Josh Allen, 386 net passing yards, three pass TDs, a rushing TD, no turnovers. He was on fleek in this game. Great performance by Josh Allen. And up to this point, Russell Wilson has managed to paper over the cracks. He had an off day. Let's just call it for what it was. And when you're having an off day, you can't carry a D that's just that bad. The other quite interesting thing was around the midway point, seeing how the teams adapted to what was going on. In the opening half, you know, we talked about the Seahawks couldn't get any pass rush pressure on Allen and he was having an absolute field day. So they came back in the second half. And when you look at the start of the second half, you saw that they were running a lot more blitz plays, which actually ended up working for the first couple of drives and they were stopping the Bills from progressing. But then the Bills switched things up and they adjusted and they just hit some big plays to counter the blitz. Big plays, yeah. And suddenly the Seahawks had to abandon the blitz because it was costing them too much. So it's interesting to see that the Seahawks did understand what was happening. They tried to adapt, but they just either don't have the personnel or they don't have the playbook. They're ready to make those changes and be able to hold them off defensively. 
Yeah, there's some really good points. Let me just work through a few of those there, Charles. So you're right. They did try to go on the blitz a lot more and there was success there. Josh Allen, I just said how he had himself a day. If you're going to talk about one maybe black spot and it's a black spot to be shared with him and his line, he ate seven sacks. And then again, to put it back into context of the Seahawks though, the Seahawks have now only had 19 sacks through the season. You take away the seven they had in that game, they had 12 through the first eight games. I mean, that's one and a half a game. A good defense like the Steelers are putting up four a game on average. So they're not a team that is constantly and consistently getting to the quarterback. They managed to do it, like you said, for a little bit. But because the secondary isn't capable of playing man on man and matching up for when you have those blitz plays, they had to abandon it, like you said. Because if you put those players in that secondary with no additional support, it's just too easy. They don't have the personnel to be blitzing too much. And uh, it's probably worth noting at the end of that game that the Bills did see a couple of offensive linemen suffer injuries. So that's probably just something to maybe keep an eye on and see if that affects their offense next game against the Cardinals. Yeah. So where do you see this, Charles? How do you think this affects, A, the Seahawks' playoff chances? And what do you think this means for the Bills? I've been listening to you for a couple of weeks tell me how bad the Seahawks defence is. And I think in the back of my mind, I've always gone, yeah, but does it really matter? They've got Russ, they've got Metcalf, they'll find a way to dig themselves out of it. In the same way that the Falcons will normally always find a way to lose a game, I kind of felt that the Seahawks will always find a way to win a game. This was the first time that I actually saw how devastating the deficiencies of the defense were for the Seahawks. And actually, you can't always rely on Russ. And the problem is that we're, what, week nine going into week 10 of the season now. If the Bills have done their homework and figured this out, it might not take too long for the rest of the teams to clock on also. And they could find that the success that they've been having in the early half of the season starts to decline as more and more teams figure out how to beat the Seahawks. Absolutely. There's a very simple handbook here for beating the Seahawks, and that's past the ball. The secondary is so bad. I don't think that I'm being an exaggerator here where I say it's almost a historically bad secondary that we've got. And that was true at the end of last season. Like, I mean, this was a defense that was middle of a pack last year. I don't know what has happened, but something seriously wrong has happened here. It's everything. I've, I've just got so many stats here, right? Yards after catch, averaging 142 a game, Atlanta a second with 141. Like, I mean, it's every single category. So if it was just air yard, you say, hmm, maybe they're calling the wrong plays here. Maybe they're leaving, you know, busted coverage out there, that kind of stuff. But it's yards after catch as well. Players just aren't making plays. The play calls just aren't right. It's seriously wrong. And as good as Russ Wilson is, and as much as he deserves to be in the MVP talk, if you play like the Bills did, most teams should have a decent chance of beating this Seahawks team. It's disappointing. They're sitting up there in the NFC West, but I think they're trending downwards. Yeah. And I think Bills-wise, the only thing that I would say is we've already seen Allen's inconsistencies and the inconsistencies yeah. of the Bills. Great point. They've done exceptionally well against the Seahawks here, but that doesn't necessarily make me believe that they're going to be consistent for the rest of the season. I think it's going to be a really interesting race for that top spot because we'll get onto the Dolphins in due course, but they'll push. I mean, the Bills should finish top of the division, but maybe there's a wild card spot there for the Dolphins, but we'll get onto that later. Yeah, let's do that. Shall we move on then? Next game. Titans versus the Bears. Let's talk about it. I mean, we say this every week, so I am going to keep this bit short. But the Chicago offense generated just 105 net yards in the first half, then gave up a fumble, which was returned for a touchdown in the third quarter. It's something that you actually mentioned while we were watching the games. It's better to just not put the offense out, just have the defense out all game and Bears might perform better than having the offense on the field. Yeah, but I don't think that's just an observation. I think that's like a statistical thing as well that the expected points that they're not getting as the offense are just so, so bad. It's almost like just not bother. Just don't bother at all. Foles accumulated just 85 yards in the opening half, and he was lucky that he had two potential interceptions dropped. I mean, that yeah. is yeah, desperate. Yeah. This is it. So his stat line is just so padded coming out of this game. So like he finished up with 335 yards, two touchdowns. That does not tell the story, really, does it, Charles? No, not at all. 
And the crying shame of all of this is you look at the flip side, right? The defense managed to limit Derek Henry to 68 yards on 21 carries. Yeah, that's an average of 3.2 yards a carry to Derek Henry. I'm going to be honest here, that's not the first time a team has done that this year. A couple of teams have done that to him, and they've just been overwhelmed by the volume that he's got. But still, for any defense to keep Derek Henry below three and a half yards a carry, there's something to be said for that. I mean, we moan about Foles. David Montgomery, 14 carries, 30 yards, 2.1 yards a carry. 14 carries, and the longest carry that he could get was five yards. Yeah, and he got that fumble, which was recovered for a touchdown. Not great, was it? Not good at all. The only thing I would say to your comment about Derek Henry, I think the games where we have seen him contained also happen to be the same games where Tannehill is not having a good game because it allows the defences to basically load the box. Tannehill failed to complete half of his passes in this game. Partly that is down to the Bears' good defence and partly, you know, there were some drops from his wide receivers. But I think more and more Tannehill is starting to look like a bit of an average quarterback, which is a departure from how he ended last season. I never got on that Tannehill bandwagon last year. I think with you being kind of slightly newer to the game, you won't remember when he was just very, very average at the Dolphins. He was like an Andy Dalton type kind of player situationally it worked for him last year and if you're a quarterback and you've got Derek Henry there it's going to be great for you you're right though when he's not efficient when he's not playing well it means that Henry can drag about two or three people like trying to make a tackle on him but he can't drag a whole team (laughs) yeah right that takes us then to the Ravens against the Colts went in my favor Ravens 24 Colts 10 Here's my concern with this one, Joe, and I'm sort of counting on you to bring a level to my rant here. Okay. I think this was the best chance the Colts had at beating the Ravens and proving that they can beat top tier teams in a playoff run. Yep, I agree with that. Baltimore were down a couple of defensive linemen, some key defensive personnel. Jackson wasn't playing 100%. He was playing quite badly. Yeah, and in fairness to the Colts... They were in complete control of this game in the opening half. Their defense was limiting the Ravens to just 55 net yards by half time, 2.2 yards per play. I mean, they did a great job. Yeah, yeah. They were a bit unlucky that the Jonathan Taylor fumble for a touchdown cost them and kept the Ravens in it. That was the key moment there. Had Taylor not fumbled and had the Colts continued the drive and got points from that drive... I think it could have been a different outcome. That was a pivotal moment. I think there's a different pivotal moment, which we can go on and discuss. I mean, it was vitally important. There are two, you're right, and you're going to say the interception, aren't you? No, I'm actually going to talk about personnel. So where I think it changed was in the third quarter where Darius Leonard got injured. Now, he did only miss one snap, but prior to his injury, he was all over that Ravens offense like they could not get anything going he got injured missed a snap came on the following one but after that he kind of wasn't quite the same yeah yeah he looked half a beat off each time yeah there were a couple of plays where you could see he was hesitant to get involved he wasn't as dynamic and aggressive as he was in the first half and I suppose that's both a good thing and a bad thing it justifies the loss to a certain extent but is that a concern that You lose Darius Leonard and you can't compete with the top teams. That's a good question. Uh, Like, I mean, you're right. He was all over the pitch. Ended up with 15 tackles. 13 of those were solo and one was a tackle for a loss. I mean, he had a huge game. He does get the plaudits. But when people are talking about the best defensive players in the league, you know, you talk about the JJ Watts of the world. You talk about the Aaron Donalds. We talk about these players and we say how good they are. Darius Leonard often gets forgotten about a little bit. And I mean... He is a very, very good player. He's a team leader, and I don't think there's anyone else who elevates their play in that defense like he does. To say that they're not a playoff team without him, I wouldn't go that far, Charles. I think they are still a playoff team without him, but I just, I would question how far they could get in the playoffs without him. I'd probably say that even with him, they're not going to get all the way through the playoffs as things stand. And I think a lot of that comes down to the offense, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I think it does. And I was being careful with what I say there because 
I am someone who has supported Rivers and I know that you don't like Rivers and, and we often have this little kind of debate about it. I don't think there's enough in that offense just yet to give the defense what they deserve in terms of you know a full team on the other side of the ball. Jonathan Taylor was getting so much hype at the start of this season and he's been all right, but nothing more than all right. And like I say, I think that fumble was extremely costly. I think that the, the Colts on paper, you always look on paper at their wide receivers and you think that they must be two or three players there getting 100 yards every single game, but they just don't. And that's not all on Rivers, but these wide receivers aren't all that. Yeah, I agree. And I also agree that it's not all on Rivers either. I think the wide receivers have to step up and take some responsibility there. Again, this was another game where some of the wide receivers had a few important drops and, you know, that's on them as much as it is on Phil. So I think it's the offensive unit as a whole need to find yeah. a way to step it up a gear because the defense is getting the job done. The only caveat I'd say to that is the offensive unit skill players. Yeah, because the line is still immense. One of, if not the best lines in football. Those guys are giving Rivers time. They're making holes. They're doing what they should be doing. It's your wide receivers. It's your running backs. It's your Phil Rivers who need to do a little bit better. Phil Rivers did end that game with a 62.8 passer rating. Zero TDs, one interception. I know you're playing the Ravens, but you've got to do a little bit better than that. Just to finish this one up, Charles, the interception, how did you have it? Was it an interception? Was it not an interception? I think it wasn't. That was still being juggled. I don't think he had complete control of it. I'm going to agree with you. because, And what I'm going to flip it onto is if that was a wide receiver catching in the end zone and there was that phase of play there where he kind of caught it, had it in his fingertips, took two or three steps, but it was still kind of bobbling and bouncing. I don't think that they would give a touchdown if a wide receiver had made that catch. No, exactly. And I think that's why it felt they were hard done by to give it, because I, I completely agree. If that's an offensive player, they review that and they say no touchdown. But they still did review it, didn't they? But came to the conclusion that it was. Yeah. And, and I mean, even Peters, right? If Peters thought that he'd intercepted that, he would have celebrated it. He didn't celebrate it. He just got up and just walked off. I think it was a bad call. I think they got that one wrong. And I think that the judgment of that being a catch is not a consistent application of the laws as we see in other kind of plays. So yeah, yeah. we agree. Let's move on to the next one. Texans-Jags, 27-25. Something that I want to talk about for this game then, this was an absolute mirror image of last year. Down double digits to the Texans with a late round rookie quarterback on the field making his first start able to claw it back to within two, try for a two-point conversion, fail it, lose the game by two. Deja vu all over again, mate. Deja vu. You take away the moustache, it's the exact same Take away same the moustache, yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Let's talk a little bit about Luton and what this means for Minshew. What does it mean for Minshew? I mean, Jake Luton out there, he didn't look bad. I mean, that touchdown pass to Shark was pretty sweet. Finished with 304 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and 90.2 passer rating. Not bad at all. What I would say, I think that the Jags had their game plan a little bit wrong. I think they were relying on Luton a little bit too much, and they should have been running the ball more efficiently, if not more volumetrically. But what does this mean for Minshew? I have felt, and I think a lot of people have felt as well, that this season the Jags are looking for an excuse to not go forward with Minshew. There were trade rumours in the off-season as well, but they're going to have a high pick. I feel that the Jags aren't committed to Minshew in any kind of way. I, I don't think any of this kind of really matters. Do you know what? I completely agree with you. Yeah. Because this is what I was about to say. He played okay. Yeah. Houston, who we already know, dreadful defensive team, was missing its best edge rusher in Whitney Merciless and its top two cornerbacks. So actually, Luton found himself, with all the time in the world, throwing to people in acres of space. It's a little bit easy to look okay in those situations. I don't think we're going to see the same performance from him week in, week out. But also, kind of reflecting back what you're saying, I don't think it really matters because at the end of the season, none of them are going to be starting for the Jags. This is exactly it, mate. Like... I think it's probably a bit unfair on Minshew because I don't think that Minshew has played at a poor enough quality for the Jags to have the record that they have. It's other parts of a team that are creating the situation that they're in. 
but they're going to go with someone else. I was looking at the Texans wide receivers and how they performed. They made some big plays off really not necessarily a great number of targets. Will Fuller went 100 yards off five receptions. Brandon Cooks went 83 yards off three receptions. And both of them got a touchdown. That Cooks TD was pretty sweet, though. Like, I'm not quite sure how he managed to kind of wiggle his way down the uh, sideline, but definitely worth a watch for those people who haven't seen it yet. Right, let's move on to Vikings 34, Lions 20. Lions aren't a very good football team. Matt Patricia is on a very, very hot seat. Will he have a job next season? Probably no. Matt Patricia is a defense guy. He was the defensive coordinator of the Patriots. And the defense at the Lions is not very good whatsoever. They made some bad moves last season in terms of players that they traded away. The personnel is just not there. I mean, Akuda, who was their uh, top 10 draft pick this year, he's not been very good either. There are very few positives to say for this Lions side, aside from, hey, they've got some decent wide receivers when Stafford gets them the ball. That's all I've really got to say on the Lions, man. You got much else? Not really the Lions. I want to talk about the Vikings a little bit. It was another week in which Dalvin Cook continued to have an amazing game. He completely trampled a weak Lions defense. Cook had almost 250 yards from scrimmage and a couple of touchdowns. I think really the game was never in doubt after the first few drives. The question that I had for you is if your defense continues to improve and Cook continues to cook... Do you think that there's still a chance for the Vikings to potentially take a wildcard spot, especially with the Bears imploding due to their weak offense? I'm not going to lie. This is something that I've had in my head and I have been thinking this and it almost feels ridiculous that a team that starts off 0-5 can make playoffs. The factor I think that will maybe help is there is talk now of this whole kind of bubble the same way that the NBA did and rather than having just seven teams from each conference, which is one more than they normally would, We're talking now of having eight teams. And if there are eight teams from each conference playing playoff football at the end of the year, maybe, maybe, because you're not going to get any playoff teams in the wildcard slots from the NFC East. Not happening. No. And like you say, the Bears are imploding, but the Bears are still sitting on, what, five and three? So still a winning record. So it's still unlikely at this stage, Charles. But I mean, look, Vikings have got to play the Bears twice. If the Vikings keep on playing like they have over the last two games, they're probably an 8-8 team, really, which probably won't be enough for playoffs. But who knows? If they go 9-7, it's possible. It's possible. I think at the very least, the Vikings are going to be one of those teams that are problematic in the second half of the season that cause a few upsets. Yeah, I think they will be. Like, Let's just put things into context as well. They're 3-5 and five right now. They should have beat the Seahawks. Right, they didn't take that chance, and I know that you know should haves and things don't mean anything, but they should have beat the Seahawks. And had they beat the Seahawks, and they were sitting at four and four right now, you'd say the momentum is with them, and you know they can definitely make a good run at the playoffs. You know, there's a lot of football still to be played. We're just over the halfway mark of the season. Let's see. But in saying that as well, Charles, it is only two games. All right, the Green Bay game was great against a good team. But this Lions side, they're not very good. And most teams should beat this Lions side. Yeah. Okay, Charles, let's talk about uh, Panthers and Chiefs next. Close game, 33-31 to the Chiefs. What do you got on this? This was not a game that I was expecting. This was not a game that anyone was expecting. I think you had a massive lead for the Chiefs in this one. (laughs) It came down to two. We didn't get any Chad Henney this week. (laughs) No, we didn't. Here's how I think the Panthers approach this game, though, just from watching it. They held on to the ball for nine minutes in their opening drive. And I'm certain that their strategy was just, let's try and keep it out of Mahomes' hands for as long as we possibly can. Absolutely. And I feel like if they'd have been able to keep that up, it might have worked. They just ran out of steam a little bit and they let Mahomes get access to the ball too much towards the end of the game and to be quite honest it's only because they just ran out of time in that final drive that potentially prevented them from winning this you know they were forced to take a 69 yard field goal absolutely which was never going to happen you're absolutely right had they had maybe another 30 seconds another minute just to get another 15 yards 
15 yards was all they needed. Yeah, that's probably all they needed, exactly. Then that could have been a huge upset. I think everything you've said there is absolutely right. They were trying to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands because, as I have said many times before, with Kansas City rushing attack, they're not going to do anything at all. So if you keep the ball out of Mahomes' hand and stop him passing it, then you have a chance against the side. But it's easier said than done. It is. A couple of interesting things. Did you notice how Mahomes wasn't sharing the ball out fairly? He had 44 attempts. 30 of them went to Kels and Hill. I didn't spot that, actually. And that's quite unusual for Mahomes because he's normally someone that's happy to air it out to anyone. Yeah, so Travis Kelsey had 12 targets, 10 receptions. Tyreek Hill, not very efficient, 18 targets, 9 receptions. Between the two of those guys, they had, what, 272 yards, two touchdowns? Ridiculous numbers. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was heavily skewed towards Kelsey and Hill. Greedy from those two players. Very greedy. Final thing I wanted to mention, I thought in this game, Bridgewater looked great. I think that having McCaffrey back certainly helped with that. He had 28 plays, 18 of which were carries, and then he had 10 catches, which led to 82 yards. And I think, you know, it's a question you posed last week, but we got our answer on Davis, didn't we? Just six touches, despite C-Mac being fresh back from an injury. So six touches and five of them were passes. Yeah. So had one carry. So it certainly doesn't look like there's going to be any meaningful plans to split the workload there. But someone who we will see meaningful plans for, it seems, who we did also question as well, Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel had himself another big day. Nine receptions for 105 yards and a touchdown, and then three carries for another 13 yards. 118 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown charts. Not bad, is it? Yeah, so I, turns out, got it completely wrong. <laughs> I thought we'd <laughs> see more Davis and lesser Samuels, and it's, it appeared that it was the other way around in this match. Yeah, but Curtis Samuel is looking like a form player in the National Football League right now. He's had a couple of weeks where he's put up some big numbers. And not just for numbers, he's, he's looked good on the ice, some really good eye-catching players. So let's move on to many people's game of the week. Giants and Washington, 23-20 to the boys in blue. What do you think of this one, Charles? I want you to take us through this one because you had me in absolute stitches over that fumble calamity when the game was on. Why don't you talk us through that? If there was one play which is a metaphor for the NFC East, I think it was the fumbleaganza that happened in the first quarter of this game. There were so many fumbles, but I don't even remember who had the first fumble. So many touches. Somehow, someone fumbled the ball. And the amount of attempts to get control of the ball, carried the ball about 30-odd yards. I, I think everyone in both teams had a little go at touching a ball. There was like seven touches on the ball. You were, I think, a little bit ahead of me when I was watching it. And I just got this message from you that said, hey, up, boys, the circus show's in town. And then, <laughs> and then this play happened and it was like a Benny Hill sketch where there's like a slippery ball that no one can keep hold of. And it was just like... absolutely like that. It felt like watching an XFL game. There were so many mistakes that, quite frankly... I paid very little attention to the game. Relatively low quality game. This is the thing that stands out the most to me from this game. There was the injury as well, which I had blocked from my mind and I've just recalled now. Not a very pretty injury at all. It's one of those ones that makes you wretch when you're watching the TV. So we obviously wish Carl Allen a speedy recovery. Probably won't be seeing him again this year. Should we move on then? Because I literally have nothing else to add to that game. What does this mean though? Just quickly... This obviously means that there's been another win in the NFC East, which had to happen at some point. But we have a Giants at 2-7, and seven, Cowboys at 2-7, and seven, Redskins at 2-6, and six, and Eagles at 3-4-1 and one at lofty heights. So this is just a car crash division. Yeah, let's move on, Charles. Cool. Steelers 24, Cowboys 19. What the hell happened? This is one of those trap games, really, isn't it? I mean, Roethlisberger looked to be in pain and he was grabbing his elbow throughout the game. Do you think that that could potentially be a bigger issue here? It's kind of what issue do you want to select here? You're right, he was grabbing his elbows, but the Steelers have announced that he injured both knees in the game. And then subsequent to that, he's also been put on a COVID list. So he's got a bad elbow, two bad knees and COVID maybe. He's supposed to be my fantasy quarterback this week, so I've got concerns there. I'll put it that way. Some of his passes were off the mark. He lost a fumble, but luckily illegal contact nullified that. 
he looked very out of sorts and he seemed to be actively complaining throughout a large portion of the game. It was concerning. Garrett Gilbert, because we didn't have wonky arm Danucci. <laughs> Sidearm Danucci. Sidearm Danucci. <laughs> Garrett Gilbert stepped in and in his first career game, he looked okay, despite going up against the tough Steelers D. I mean, nothing special, but he looked fine, serviceable. Does he keep a starting spot when uh, Dawn sorts his brain out? If it was up to me, I would say yeah, because he's looked the best out of all three quarterbacks that we've seen so far. But this team's being coached by the Chuckle Brothers. Like the, I've, I don't understand what's going on. And actually, I, I want to raise this, and it's very, very easy to say this with the gift of hindsight. I totally understand that. But when you're going up against the Steelers and you're leading and you're in the fourth quarter and you've got a fourth and one, you're 30, 30 yards from the end zone, not even that. I go for it on that play, I think. They took the kick and they ended up losing by less than a touchdown. So, you know, hindsight. But I don't know why they didn't go for it, especially seeing that they were having great success in the run game. Great success? Uh, I probably disagree after just what happened between the Vikings and the Seahawks. And I know it's a slightly different situation, but I mean, you get that field goal and then the Steelers can't get a field goal. They have to go and score a touchdown. So it changes the complexion of the game. I would have taken the points, personally. But when you know that you're one of the worst defences in the NFL, like that basically says, we trust our defence more than we trust our offence. That's got to be a madness when you're talking about Dallas, right? True, mate, true. But I mean, look at how Zeke has been playing. Zeke has been one of the biggest disappointments in terms of the big-name players this year. He's just not got going at all. And I know he's had injuries here and there, but Zeke has not been playing to what his contract is worth. And I think it might be a reflection of Zeke, because if you trust your very expensive running back, you'd let him kind of pound that in from a yard out. I think the only other thing that I have to say here is against one of the worst run defences in the league, James Conner was on negative yards for most of the game and finished with just 22 yards on nine carries. What was going on there? I don't even know, Charles. There's personnel who are in this Cowboys team who should good who should be good who should be better than the way that they're playing and you know maybe it clicked for them maybe they played to the standard they should be playing at will that turn the corner for the Cowboys and no Charles I don't even know it was just such a weird game I was just watching this and I was just thinking when are the Steelers going to start playing I think the Steelers fans and the Steelers players will just be happy to leave AT&T with a win they'll put it behind them as quickly as they can and move on to the Bengals the only point I've got this though and I just want to get your view on this right if you took, say, Green Bay, the team that you support, yeah, and you had to play Giants, Broncos, Texans, Eagles, Rubbish Browns, and Cowboys, what record would you expect Green Bay to get? <laughs> like a perfect record. Maybe they drop one. Right. So, But you would expect a perfect record against those teams. Yeah. And then when you then throw in a maybe slightly off-key Ravens and, all right, the, the Titans... That's the Steelers' schedule. Wow. So they've got this 8-0, and and everyone's talking about this 8-0, and but six of the teams they've beaten in the 8-0 and are those six teams that are listed out there. And I don't want to start pooping all over them just because they played off for one game. I do think this is a good Steelers team. They'll be deep in the playoffs. It's worth pointing out. It's worth knowing, isn't it? But, you know, saying that, I think they'll go 10-0. and The next two games are Bengals and Jaguars. Yeah. Yeah, could be. And then it's Ravens. They beat Ravens, and then they got Washington. So there's one hard game in the next four. Wow. See you at the playoffs. <laughs> they could be in a position where they've got home field advantage and they're resting up players by week 14. Delightful, because it sounds like at the moment Ben needs all the rest he can get. <sighs> ben needs all the rest he can get, mate. Right, let's move on. Raiders 31, Chargers 26. Once again... Two drop touchdowns for the Chargers in the last six seconds of the game, despite Herbert putting it on a dime twice. Can somebody please give that man some help? Uh, the only thing I will say about both of those touchdown attempts to win the game is I think it was more on the Raiders' coverage than it was necessarily the poor ability of the wide receivers. Do you think that this changes your opinion on the Raiders at all? 
uh, that they've won a tough game like this? Um, or do you think it says more about the Chargers and their inability to close things out? Both. I think I corrected my position on the Raiders several weeks ago when I said they were better than I thought they were. Yep. You seem to feel I have some vendetta against Carr. I do. So I need to point out Carr had a very strong game. He demonstrated what he can do when he's playing at the top of the game. Accurate long throws. He improvised really well when there were no looks on. He did a good job of kind of scrambling and then getting a last minute pass off. He looked dependable in this game and that you could trust him. I thought he did very well. The Chargers, again, missed opportunities and put themselves in a position where they let the game slip away. There was a missed field goal. You know, if they'd made that field goal, then they didn't have to get that last touchdown of the game. They could have settled for a kick. There's all these little things that just are letting the Chargers down. And I think it is their inability to close out games and to finish it for a win. There are only three sides now in the NFL who have not lost by more than seven points. For the life of me, I can't think of what one of them are. But the other two are obviously the Steelers and the Chargers. So despite the record the Chargers have, no game has been lost by more than seven points, which means that, you know, a different day, a different flip of a coin, they could have a very different record. They could have a mirror image record of the result we have now. Interestingly as well, it was actually the Raiders who have given bigger whoopings to some of the better teams. It was an 8 or 10 point win against Kansas City Chiefs. They beat the Saints by a fair margin. So um, a bit of serendipity there. With this though, Chad, there's a question that I've got. Do you think the fact these games have been close, do you think that will go some way to protecting Anthony Lynn's job? Or do you think that the front office will just be looking at the W's and L's? I actually think it will go some way to protecting his job. And I think Herbert will have helped his cause no end. You know, he's a rookie quarterback that Anthony's been working with this season. And I think they'll say, well, look, we've not lost by much. It could have gone the other way. Look at this star quarterback that he's brought immediately into this team. If he continues to work with him and can fix some of the other elements of the game, we're on to a real winner next season. So I think for that reason, it will go a long way towards him keeping his job. So one more year there, maybe? I think so, yeah. I think they'll give him one more year to see if he can correct the other elements that aren't quite right. And if it's still not clicking, then I think they go, well, hang on, you've got a very capable quarterback. We've given you several seasons. If you can't get us a winning record this time round, we're going to have to look elsewhere. Okay, fair dues. Let's move on to the last of the earlier games on Sunday. Dolphins-Cardinals, a win for Tua, 34-31 to the fish. We interrupt this podcast to correct a factual inaccuracy. A dolphin is in fact a mammal, not a fish. What do you think of this one, Charles? Yeah, I think it was almost chalk and cheese from the game that he played first time round against the Rams. He looked very good. And in particular, in moments where he had to improvise, he did a very good job of thinking on his feet, spotting gaps, scrambling, staying mobile. And he did what was needed to get the Dolphins their win. It was really great watching both of the quarterbacks play off against each other. Because, I mean, Murray clocked up 106 yards and a touchdown on 11 scrambles. They are big numbers. They are big numbers. A running back would be proud of those numbers. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, he had 106 yards on 11 carries. Chase Edmonds had 25 carries and can only muster up 70 yards. And got three catches for 18 yards. He looked pants. He looked awful. Bring back Kenyon Drake as quick as you can. And don't forget, he got stuffed on that crucial fourth and one attempt in the final quarter. Exactly, exactly. It sometimes cannot do you any good to be out because other players come in and get a chance and make themselves look good. I think that this is showing that, you know, Drake is the man to go forward with her. Well, the weird thing is, Edmonds looked a lot better when Drake was in the picture. Then Drake goes out and Edmonds, you know, can't fill those boots on his own. I think that's the issue. He can't. But I mean, look, both quarterbacks, similar kind of style, improvisers, quick on their feet, a smaller kind of build. They both look great. Kyler Murray, on top of his 106 yards rushing, 283 yards through the air, three touchdowns, a rating of 150.5. That's near perfect. He couldn't have really have done much more. 
No, this wasn't on him. And again, we do have to remind ourselves that the Dolphins have a very capable defense this year. And they did a fantastic job of locking Hopkins up. I mean, he was basically invisible this game. And so Murray went out and did what he did without his number one wide receiver. You know, to your point, Murray did the best that he could. It just so happened that Tua was also fantastic. And the Dolphins defense is certainly better than the Cardinals defense. But you've got this Dolphins team now. They're five and three, only one game behind the Bills. Do you think they can catch them? I honestly think that they could. Do I think it's likely? Yeah, I don't see why not. We've seen what Tua can do, and we know what the Dolphins' DST can do. We've also seen what the Bills can do when they're performing at the top of their game. I just think that Allen and the offense there still have their inconsistencies. So if those creep in in a few more games and the defense keeps rocking at the Dolphins and Tua continues to perform like he did against the Cardinals, they could catch them. Well, how's this, mate? The next four games the Bills have... Cardinals, Chargers, 49ers, Steelers. The next four games the Dolphins have, Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals. Yeah, you see, I'd say you've probably got two wins there for the Bills and at least three wins for the Dolphins. Exactly, exactly. And the last game that each of these teams play, they'll be playing against each other week 17. So we could have a decider right there. That would be amazing to watch. Yeah, there could be a lot on the line for that game. But I'd say right now, I think both these teams are going to playoffs. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was very close between them last time. Bills beat Dolphins 31-28. So it's going to be tight in the AFC East. And Patriots are going to be out of the picture. Yeah. We'll get on to that in a minute, though. Next game, Bucks against the Saints. I mean, I think it was you, Joe, that said... This could be a bit of a wake-up call for the Bucks. You, I believe, called it in favour of the Saints. I think you I called it in favour of the Saints by three points rather than 34, 35. A wake-up call is a wake-up call, Charles. <laughs> it's a blowout that nobody expected. Do you think this is the worst performance we've ever seen from Tom Brady? Oh, good question there, mate. Good question there. That's a really hard one to say. He's had such a long career. He has. I mean, he tossed three picks, finished 22 for 38 for 209 yards. He fumbled once. Let's stay away from Brady for the moment here. I want to go through the first six drives of each team's here. I think I told you this on Monday morning, but I was going to stay up and watch this. I watched the first half and then went to bed because that's how little of a game this was. So the Saints' first six drives went... Touchdown, fumble at the one-yard line where it was almost a touchdown, but they fumbled it on the one-yard line. That was Jared Cook. Touchdown, 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 field goal. So aside from Jared Cook fumbling it one yard out, they could have been touchdown, 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 field goal with their first six drives. The Bucks, on the other hand, went free and out, free and out, free and out, interception, lost on downs, interception. I don't think in all the time I've been watching the NFL, I don't think I've ever seen more of a one-sided first half than that. When we see games, when we see like matchups and we see like the Chiefs against the Jets and we think that the Chiefs are going to blow the Jets out and it never really quite goes like that and they end up winning by like 17 points, but it's not destruction. This was utter destruction for the first half. It was blitzkrieg. The length of possession that Bucks had, because it wasn't just like free and out where you'd have two running plays, it was like, pass, 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 gone. The length of possession they had for each of their first few drives, 1 minute 50 on their first one, 58 seconds, 53 seconds, 47 seconds, 3 minutes 48 when they turned it over on downs, and then 52 seconds. They were like having the ball for less than a minute and losing it. It was absolute destruction, Charles. It was the perfect storm, because everything that could have gone wrong for the Bucks did. Yep. Brady had a stinker. The defense, which is normally so on point, could yep. not stop the Saints at all. Then you had Breeze, who was firing on all cylinders, and we haven't seen him do that all season. He was happy that he had Thomas back there so he could do like a little five yard slant if he wanted to, but he didn't have yeah. to. No, he yeah. didn't. You know, he went a near perfect 26 of 32 for 222 yards and four touchdowns. And. 
we've spoken about this a few times this season in terms of quarterbacks that find a lot of players. He passed to a whopping 12 teammates throughout the wow. course of this game. Wow. Wow. Like a fat kid at a buffet. He was just having a great time. Charles, it was absolute domination. If Jared Cook hadn't fumbled on like the Buccaneer one or two yard line, it would have been 38 nil by the half. And this is against the Bucks team, which people are talking up for Super Bowl. It'll be interesting to see how they pick themselves up from this. Like you say, there were mistakes across the whole field. The Saints touchdowns, they weren't hard. It was busted coverage. It was players just open when they shouldn't have been open. Everything went wrong. Agreed, yeah. But at the same time, you can't overreact to one game. You can't overreact to one game, but some games do carry a lot more weight than others. And like I say, your divisional rivals just getting spanked. It was brutal. Look, let's move on to the last game. Patriots-Jets. All I've got from this is Flacco throwing absolute bomb after bomb in the first three quarters. Flack attack, mate. He was just launching it. And I think the more shocking thing for me were that the Jets receivers were just coming down with it with nearly every single pass. And for some reason, the Patriots corners just could not keep up. I mean, JC Jackson actually fell down on a Flacco touchdown to Brashad Perryman. What is happening? Jackson was getting skinned. Like, he might have had a last laugh, but he was getting skinned for a lot of that game. The Jets, going into the fourth quarter, they had a 10-point lead. I mean, it was almost like they had to stop themselves and think, hey, 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 guys, I was on a prize here, Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start playing like the Jets again. I don't think this changes my view of the Jets whatsoever. They might put 27 points up this week, but they're still a garbage side. I think it says more about the Patriots than the Jets. Exactly. And I think it reinforces the point that the Patriots are really, really struggling that they let the Jets put 27 points up against them and had to pull it out at the end there. Yeah, absolutely. Cam Newton looked a little bit better this week, at least. He's had to deal a lot in the media with people criticising him and some of it rightly so with how he fumbled the game away two weeks ago. But no, he definitely put a better showing up. He put it on his shoulders and it actually worked when he put it on his shoulders this week. You know, two rushing touchdowns. His passing looked as good as it can be when you've got, you know, a very limited amount of wide receivers out there. So no, a decent bounce back game for Cam Newton, but there's still fundamental problems with his Patriots team. Yeah, I don't have much more to add on that, to be honest. I don't either. Shall we move on to our Predos? Let's do it. Okay, I'll hit you off, Chaz. Thursday night's game, Colts against the Titans. I think the Colts bounce back from the game that they had. I'm going to go Colts by 10. I think it's going to be closer, but I'm going to go to Colts by three. Yeah, I have it says the Colts. Yeah, I think my only concern is the Colts had real issues at stopping the run this week. A lot of missed tackles, and you can't afford to do that against Derek Henry. But as we know, the Titans certainly capable of leaking points so let's see how it turns out when the titans play balanced d's where derrick henry can't create mismatches by demanding extra uh coverage then i think that you know they start to come unstuck a little bit so yeah so that's why i've got it as a colts cool then on to the bucks at the panthers <sighs> this is a real hard one um i'm gonna go out on a limb here and i'm gonna say that the buccaneers are gonna I have to do a bit of soul searching. I'm going Panthers. I think the Panthers will be on a high because they should have won this week. They could have won with, you know, 15 more yards. So I'm going to go Panthers, Charles. I'm going to go Panthers by seven. Interesting. There was a more formulaic approach to their game against the Chiefs. I don't think the Bucks are as easy to break down in that sense. So I think the Bucks will win this one and I'm going to go by 14. Okay. Houston Texans against the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, interesting one. We haven't seen the Browns play for a bit because they were on their bye this week. They're still down some significant players. It is the Texans, though. I'm going to say Browns by 10. If Chubb is back, then definitely a Browns win. If Chubb isn't back, I can maybe see the Texans sneaking this one, but I'm going to pretend that Chubb is back. So I'm going to say Browns by 10 as well, Charles. Oh, God. Washington at the Lions. Oh, this is an exciting one. Two bad teams who aren't making playoffs, who aren't bad enough to get good draft picks. I'm going to be a bit contrarian and I'm going to say Washington by three. I'm going to say Lions by 
10. I think that offensively, the Lions have something. Washington struggle, so... Yeah, fair. Jaguars at Packers. Uh, I've got to temper my expectations here, but I mean, I'm going to say Packers by 17. I'm copying you. That's exactly how I had it. It will probably be closer. I just don't see any reality where the Jaguars win this one. Unless it's through James Robinson. Even then, I think Packers have got enough. Uh, Yeah, me too. Me too. Eagles at the Giants. Ugh, again, not a game I'm particularly looking forward to, but I will say Eagles by seven. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say because the Eagles wide receivers were starting to click a little bit and because this Giants team will give up points, I'm going to say Eagles by 14. Okay. Bills at Cardinals. I think this is going to be a close game. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I don't know why. I just I like the way they play. And I think Kyler Murray is having an awesome season. So I'm going to go Cardinals by three. Okay, I'm going to give Josh Allen the benefit of a doubt and say that he's going to maintain the same level of play or near to the same level of play that he just did. Bills by seven. Yeah, I mean, Cardinals don't have an amazing defense. So could happen. Yeah. Broncos at Raiders. I can't see past the Raiders for this one. I'm going to go as far as to say Raiders by 17. I'm not going to go that much. I'm going to say Raiders by 10. But I can see this being a relatively high scoring game. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Chargers at the Dolphins. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to say Dolphins. But I can't say more than seven, Joe. You can't say more than seven because it just won't be. <laughs> it just won't happen. So Any number one to six. <laughs> so I'll go Dolphins by five. I'll say Dolphins by one. Some more heartbreak for the Chargers. Oh, poor guys. Right. Bengals at Steelers. I don't see the Steelers playing bad two weeks running. They had their kind of mid-season wobble. Burrow will put up, you know, his best game as he can, but Steelers by 10. Yeah, that's exactly how I've got it. Okay, Seahawks against the Rams. And I just, I meant to mention earlier, the Rams, despite being on a bye week, were probably the only NFC West team to, you know, take anything good from it. Every other team in the division lost 49ers, Seahawks and Cardinals. So it was actually a good bye week for the Rams last week. Yeah. This week, they're at home to the Seahawks. Where you got this? I think defensively... The Rams are going to be a problem for the Seahawks, but I just think they've got nothing on offense. Like even if Goff had all the time in the world, I think he'd still struggle to shred the Seahawks secondary and we know how bad they are. So I'm going to go Seahawks by 14. I'm going to go Rams by seven, mate. I just really think that the Seahawks are a broken team at the moment. Yeah, the Rams O is pretty boring. It's pretty pedestrian. But all Goff has to do is, you know, get like 10 of those 40 passes that will throw to Cooper Cup on target. (laughs) (laughs) And he will. He's like, I'm going to say now, over 15 targets to Cooper Cup. I think the Rams offense is predominantly geared towards the run more than it is the pass. And I think the Seahawks aren't as bad defending the run as they are defending the pass. So I think Seahawks will hold up. They're still bad, though. Yeah, they are still bad. They are. But the Rams aren't offensively amazing. Anyway, let's move on. 49ers Saints. Uh, I mean, Saints. The 49ers are... They're a shell of a team with all the injuries they have. So I'm going to go Saints by 17. Yeah, Saints by 21 for me then. Cool. Going to continue the show. Ravens Patriots. I mean, again, the Patriots are having a very tough time at the moment. I think this will be a game where Jackson will have the opportunity to find his form again because I don't think they'll be under a lot of defensive pressure. So I'm going to go Ravens by 17. You know when you just have a weird feeling, Chaz, and I've had a weird feeling in a few kind of game weeks. I don't know why. This is not coming from my head. This is coming from somewhere deep in my belly. I'm going to say Patriots by three. And I think that despite losing to the Steelers, the Ravens are still due some more L's. And I think it might come this week. Right, finally then, Vikings are Bears. So, Bears are trash. But it's the old adage that Kirk Cousins can't play in prime time. I don't believe that because he won in prime time last year. So I'm going to say the Vikings by 14. And every time I say stuff like this, the Vikings get beaten. But Vikings by 14. I think this is the first game 
in a long time that I've backed the Vikings and maybe it's because I want it more than I believe it but I think <laughs> seeing the Bears this week I just they were so bad offensively I think the Vikings are starting to regain a bit of defensive form and I think if Cook can continue to perform at the level that he's been performing I just don't see how the Bears can score more than the Vikings do. So I'm going to go Vikings, but oh, by three. And now we've said that Foles is going to have one of those games where he just goes off on one and the Vikings are going to go back to their early season form. Don't let it happen, Joe. Uh, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen now. Anyway, there we are. It's been fun. Absolutely. As always, check us out on social media. Give us a follow. Get in touch. The email is playsheetpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, which is playsheetpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you.